I like to talk with my hands, so that's good. Uh, not to be redundant, but I just have this feeling lately in the last few weeks even, this isn't part of the message at all, but it's been really good in the last couple of months as we've been regathering. Anybody else? I know Chael mentioned it and Trish mentioned it and a few other people, but have you ever had that maybe like a meal you haven't had in a long time, you know, like an old family recipe and then your mom made it again, you're like, that tastes better than it used to? Or you've, like there was a movie you liked when you were a kid and then you watched it as an adult and you're like, this was even better now than it was then. And I'm saying the gathering of the saints has been that way for me personally, but I think for us as a body, right? We weren't able to do it for that COVID season. Now that we're back together, I feel like in some ways it's just been sweeter and better than ever. And I don't say that to Chael's point earlier. You know, anyway, for people who haven't been coming, it's just like, man, who knows what God's going to do, you know? I think it was two weeks ago, Chael's like, God's on the move, and we're hearing different testimonies and cool stuff. So just encourage you to make that a continued spiritual discipline and continue to come. One of the things I say in our house is, we are the church, we're going to worship, because I don't know about you, every now and again, one of my kids is like, man, I want to go to church. And I'm like, well, good, we're not going to church, we're going to worship, so get in the car. Uh, <clears throat> usually, that's usually like, well, I don't want to go to worship. It's like, okay, well... Uh, the point being, I think we have to change the way we think a little bit. Sometimes, like, I grew up in a tradition, maybe you can relate to this, where it's like, I have to go to church so that I'm right with God and so that I can learn. And I'm not saying that's necessarily inaccurate or completely wrong, but I just think we have to change our perspective a little bit to say, if you, if you, when you don't come, that's one less voice we hear singing. That's one less person that's either encouraging me or I get to encourage and we get to exercise their gifts and minister to each other. It's like there's a tiny part of, the, of our body that's not here. So keep coming. Uh, I'm just excited for what God's doing. Props to Daniel for hopping in last minute again. That was really good too. Worship's just been great. I mean, um, I could like say, hey, why don't we just do more of that and I'll stop talking, but uh, I don't think that's what's on the agenda. So tonight I'm gonna talk about... Uh, everybody's favorite topic. We've been in this series, Kingdom Culture, sort of looking at what are the values of the kingdom versus different values we see in the world. And tonight, I'm talking about submission to authority. So, trigger warning. Uh, yeah, I don't... Everybody, at t I think at some point or another, maybe has had some form of an issue with submitting to authority. If not, then you are like the world's perfect pacifist or something. I don't know. But anyway, I was going to do sort of like a, it's almost like an un-book un plug plug, but this is something I've been studying a little bit in my personal walk with God for a couple of years, and I read a couple different books. So when Shale said, hey, what do you think I'm teaching on that? I was like, sure, that sounds good. That should be interesting. Uh, but I read this book particularly uh, by Watchman Nee. It's called Spiritual Authority, and this is like double trigger warning, at least for me, because it's thin but it's dense, and there's some things you read in there. You're just like, ooh, like that's, that's tough. I'm going to have to process that for a little bit. Uh, but one of the things, and if you don't know anything about Watchman Nee, by the way, he was a church planner and evangelist in China in the 1930s and 40s until the communist takeover in the 50s, and he, spent, he was a, arrested essentially as an enemy of the state, as a Christian, and spent the last 15 to 20 years of his life in a uh, Chinese communist prison where he died. And the, the church, the underground church in China, fervently prayed that he would get out, and those prayers weren't answered. Uh, so I think he has quite a bit of authority in the area of subjecting oneself to delegated authority, specifically maybe authority we don't always agree with. Uh, but one of the things he talked about, I thought I would just share a couple 
barbs, if you will, uh, is this idea that submission is not possible in the flesh. Meaning like the, the human flesh doesn't really want to be submitted to anything. This is only possible by the Spirit. And he says the self-life, in the self-life, subjection isn't possible. It's only possible when one lives in the Spirit, and it's the highest expression of God's will. One other one I thought was really good, too, just to kind of frame some things. Once you learn how to be under God's authority, you'll count yourself as nothing even after God entrusts you with much. And there's a number of things like that where you're just like, mm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to sit in that for a little bit. But it sounds an awful lot like maybe teaching Jesus gave. Hey, if you want to be first, let's start at the back of the line. If you want to be the greatest, let's try being the least. Anybody ever read that? And you're like, how does that? I don't even know how that works. But I want to kind of frame things. It's this idea that ultimately God comes first. Everything gets submitted unto him. Whatever it is we decide to put our hands to, that there's a verse in Proverbs 16 that says, whatever you do, commit it to the Lord. He'll establish your plans. A lot of us try it backward. Hey, God, I've got this plan to do this. You want to join me on it? Anybody ever been in, in, in one of those before? One of my life verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And then in all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. And so I, I asked Chael to do a little more digging because I've read some different commentaries, specifically that word acknowledge. What does it really mean? When I think of acknowledgments, I usually think of like the front of a book. You give a couple people a shout out or, hey, thanks for this and that. This is a little deeper. And meaning to acknowledge God is essentially to obey him or to know him and acknowledge him in that way means to be obedient unto him. And there was another commentary I thought was kind of funny. It was like, to acknowledge God means to acknowledge that God is God. And I was like, that seems a little redundant. Uh, anybody ever read their Bible and you're like, okay, I get it. Like, we've, <laughs> we've said this one enough times. Like, there's that verse in Proverbs that says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. I'm like... Is that circular? Is it like, what, what's going on here? Uh, but it reminded me, anybody ever seen the movie Rudy? Yeah. I see like one hand. Like, <laughs> don't worry, Jill, I got something for the Irish on this one. Uh, yes, it's, so the story, if you haven't seen the movie, just do your, stream it on Disney Plus or rent it from the library or something. It's a family-friendly one. Well, there's a scene in the movie, he wants to play, he wants to try and walk on for the Notre Dame football team. <clears throat> and if you don't know the story, He's having trouble getting into the school so he can even try to walk on. It's like he can't even get into the college so that he can then go get his head kicked in, like on the practice squad. And if you've seen the movie, that's pretty much what happens the entire movie. So he goes to his priest and essentially says, I am desperate. Why isn't God answering my prayers? I'm praying and I'm not getting what I want. Anybody identify with that? Good, two of us. And... The priest's response, it's funny, if I was the priest, I think it'd be like, hey, why don't we just try a different school? Maybe one with a better football team. Maybe one that doesn't play army every year and count that as a legitimate win. Uh, sorry, I had insert Notre Dame mocking in my notes. It's like, I've been waiting to get a chance to dig on the Irish for a long time, so I'm taking it. But he doesn't say that. Anyway, that, that would be me. He basically says, look, Rudy, all my years in ministry, I've learned two things. In all my years of religious studies... Two things I'm sure of. There is a God, and I'm not him. And you can kind of tell Rudy's like, 
okay. And as I thought about that, this idea that God is God and I am not, seems simple. The more I've thought about this, and I had, I've heard another pastor teach on this before, I would submit that most of the problems we see in humanity, past and present, are due to our failure to admit these two things, that there's a God and it's not us. A good chunk of the world doesn't even believe God is there doesn't want to believe God is there. They don't want to be morally accountable. They don't want to be held responsible for their actions or anybody else's. It is Romans 1 all over the place. Anybody seen the world we're living in right now in different areas? It, I mean, it is, this is ongoing. Then there's a subset of folks who do believe God is there, but they're not really interested in surrendering to his lordship, in submitting to him as lord. And lord in the Greek means owner, meaning if you're going to submit to him as lord... He owns everything. I think if we're honest, though, at least for me, I think sometimes there's this temptation to think I can do God's job better than he can. Sort of to Rudy's point. I don't know what you're doing, but it's not working for me. I think I can do this better. Anybody ever had an area in their life specifically where they're like, yeah, God, I know you don't want me to go this way, but I think I know better right now. I think a lot of us can identify with that. And there's this twisted version of Christianity that has kind of been creeping its way in that, that sort of says, hey, you can receive everything that's offered on the cross and through Jesus, his forgiveness and salvation, but kind of leave the rest. Leave this whole submission unto his lordship leave death to self, leave some of the other things we read in the New Testament. I call it buffet line theology. Anybody ever go through the buffet line? It's like, hey, I just get to take whatever I want and leave what I don't. Take the forgiveness, take the grace, going to need some of that. Salvation for sure, we'll just leave all the rest of that stuff. And I'm saying in the context of the New Testament, both in Jesus' teaching and in Paul's, this is nonsense. This is not and I'm not saying this to be harsh, so please hear me out. That's just not how it works. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Then take up your cross. And in Luke, it's, it's either Luke or Matthew. One of them, he says, do it daily. So it's not a one-time deal. It's this continuing, regular thing. Anybody triggered yet? <laughs> I am. So most of us would agree that we need to submit to God first. Chael and I met to talk about this. I was like, what do you want me to use for a source text? And we kind of laughed. He's like, well, it's only on every other page of the entire Bible. Uh, if you want to, you can turn to Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to get there in a little bit. But just to sort of set that up. Okay, we submit to God first. That has to look like something. Specifically, his word and his promptings. Learning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and being obedient unto it. It's not just enough to hear it. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do, if you obey my commands, if you do what I'm asking you to do. One of the things we often ask in some of our discipleship relationships or encourage people is say, hey, what, is, what has God said? What is he saying? But then what are you doing about it? And trying to hold each other accountable. That's part of mutual submission that I'm going to get into a bit later. But the hard part is, okay, most of us say, and this is where it gets triggery, most of us recognize, okay, if I'm not God, 
and he is, I can live with that. The problem is God has put other people in authority under himself, which are then over us at times that we don't particularly care for. Maybe we don't agree with them at all. Maybe we don't like them. And so we have this tension in terms of how do we surrender ourselves, submit ourselves in a godly way under the authority that he has set up. And this is true both inside and outside of the church. But I want, to think, I want you to think about this as like a ladder. God is firmly fixed on the top rung. First commandment in the Old Testament, no other gods. It's me only. And we're going to see in Daniel how that causes a little bit of a problem. But God in his sovereignty has allowed a whole lot of people to occupy other rungs that are below him and above us. And we're also told to be honoring uh, and to submit unto them. So we, we following me here? We tracking? I'm, okay, I'm getting a little bit of positive juju here. Uh, let me re- just read Romans 13, and I'm going to give... All right, I'll do one little political sort of modern day aside here, just one, because I don't, this is, if you, if you think I'm getting up here to talk about modern day politics at all, this has nothing to do with that whatsoever, but I think there is something interesting just to note here. Paul talks about specifically submitting to governing authorities, and we're living in a time where there is more disagreement and dishonoring towards governing authorities maybe than I've ever seen in my life, but he says, let everybody be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. And consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Harsh words from Paul. What's ironic is, do you know who was the head of the Roman world when Paul wrote this? It was Nero. Probably the greatest Christian hater and murderer, at least until that day persecuted the early church, literally fed Christians to lions. And Paul's still saying, I want you to be submitted and to be honoring. He doesn't say you have to be obedient all the time. And I'll get into that in a minute. But for the the period of time we're living in, I'm seeing signs out there with expletives in front of our governor's name. Anybody seen one of those? And I'm just saying, like, this has no place in the kingdom. We can disagree with people that are in authority, but we don't have to be dishonoring. And I've heard it my whole life, by the way. Well, you don't understand. Clinton's doing this, and Bush is doing I'm from both sides of the aisle, and why it's okay uh, to disobey, essentially, what I think Scripture teaches. And I'm saying, I don't want that in our house and in our spiritual family, so let's, let's hold each other accountable in that because, listen, I'll, I'll also be honest. There's plenty of things the governor's doing I don't agree with. But you're not going to see a sign like that in my yard or me using that kind of language ever. All right, no, no more of that. Uh, <clears throat> turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Uh, and let's, I'm going to set this up a little bit. There's a, quite a few verses. Some of us know the story. Let's, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hands who've heard this story before. Anybody's ever gone to Sunday school? This is a classic, right? I'm hoping to maybe pull a few things out that you hadn't seen before. And as I was studying this, have you ever, if you've ever dug deeper into a topic and then you, you sort of read back through other narratives or parts of Scripture and you realize, oh, this was in that 
narrative that I didn't see before. And that's like, the scripture is like an ocean. It's just, you continue to dig into it. You're like, how did I miss that? And there's this depth and that knowledge and this nugget. So the backstory is, the nation of Israel has essentially been completely divided and plundered, and Babylon has taken a remnant of the Israelites to Babylon with them as exiles. And then some of the brightest and the best, sort of the A students in the class, have then been recruited and drafted into the service of the king. And they're they're actually shown quite a bit of favor up until this point. It says their appearance is good, they're very smart, they're very wise. Small problem, though, they're firmly submitted to the top of the ladder we talked about. They are clear in terms of the law of Yahweh and that they ultimately are obedient unto him, but they're serving in a kingdom that has no respect for the Lord whatsoever or his commands. And this is very common in pagan culture. So the king has set up this gigantic idol and a shrine that he built and requires people under the law to worship it at a certain given time, and there's musical cues and that type of thing. The irony, I would argue, is this same type of thing goes on in our culture, but the idols just look a little different. Another sermon for another time. But sort of to set the story, and do yourself a favor, just read Daniel. Like, it is... This whole thing that I'm talking about is just full uh, in, in this entire book. So there's a report from uh, other folks to the king that, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't obeying. They're not listening. So we'll pick this up in verse 12. It says, there's some Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. And subtext, there's a little like dog-eat-dog going on throughout this book of the Bible. Other servants of the king are like, how do we get these Jews out of their position of favor with the king? We can't get them on integrity. Let's challenge them in the area of faith. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Everybody loves a tattletale, right? (laughs) Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, the zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you don't worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And there is a sort of show of force here where the king goes, Look, I'm top dog. And he actually gives them the choice where in it is one commentary I read sort of shows this actually suggests they were in good favor with the king because other disobedient people just would have been off without a question. Like, I'm giving you an out and let's, let's listen to what they choose, right? We know they don't, but I want to point something out uh, maybe subtly that we miss. And here's where the line of demarcation comes. Any authority under the top that requires you to be disobedient to the top, you have my permission to be disobedient. And a lot of us are sitting there, well, when, when do we get to make an exception and all this kind of stuff? By the way, uh, Nee talks about the flesh loves to find defect and, def- and faults within authority. We shouldn't go looking for that in those who are over us. But if they're asking you to disobey the Lord and what he's taught and his leadings and his promptings, then you have permission to be disobedient, in my view. And I think Scripture affirms that, but it never says to be dishonoring. So 
Here's what they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown, thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us. My Bible actually has a footnote there that also says, or if the God we serve is able to deliver us, he will deliver us. So it's not always clear how confident they are on even their own deliverance. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. What I want us to see is they're saying, look, yeah, you're in charge. Yeah, you can take our lives. You have the authority to do that. They refer to him as king and your majesty multiple times. But they say, ultimately, we believe there's somebody over you. And he says, never bow the knee to another God. And we work for him. So we can't. You see this also in the life of Jesus. They drag Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin. They drag him before Pilate on false charges, on lies. He doesn't even defend himself. Why? Because the Father who's over all them has already made it clear in the garden that he's going to the cross. There's no need. But he's not dishonoring. Even to those who are literally killing him. God forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. That, however, is not Nebuchadnezzar's attitude uh, initially in terms of one of humility. <laughs> it says he gets a little hot under the collar, pardon the pun, uh, and says, all right, his attitude changes in verse 19, it says, and he orders the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. And here's where we're going to have like, all right, we'll see who's top dog now and how your God does in this challenge, if you will. Skip to verse 24 and most of you know where this goes. The king then leaves to his feet. So they, they, they heat the thing up so hot that the people who throw him in get killed. It's like they die from, from a little literal heat wave coming out of the furnace. And then the king notices something in verse 24. He leaps to his feet in amazement and asks his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? It's like, there's the easiest question like a king ever asked one of his assistants. It's like, one, two, yeah, okay, three. Certainly, your majesty, they replied. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, and their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. I don't know why I've always liked that last part. It's like, not only were they not burned, they weren't even in the smoking section. You know what I mean? It's like, God is just like, boss move. You know what I mean? And the king realizes it immediately. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he says, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. He recognizes, I would suggest, almost immediately, there is one much more powerful than him. He's not top and he comes underneath. How does he show that? I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, and their houses turned into piles of rubble. You talk bad about the one over me? I thought I was top. I'm not. Now you talk bad about the one who is? Chopped liver, literally. Then the king promotes them. It's like they literally go from the furnace to a raise 
all in the, you know, the scene of, or the span of a few minutes. Now, I know this is a crazy story, and so, okay, how does this all apply? I want to say that this is a model for how we're to be unto authority, just like within the church. But this idea of, it's hard because in the world, we hear things like, That's a, this feels like a sign of weakness. Being submitted to somebody else, that means you're weak. And I want to suggest to you, in the kingdom, it is a source of blessing and strength. I love the way Bill Johnson put this years ago in one of the Wanderlust movies. He said, everybody wants a king like Jesus. First challenge. If you want to be blessed, ask the Lord where you, you've sort of maybe stepped outside of one of his delegated authorities in your past. Do this on your own time. God gives you somebody right now. You start getting triggered right then. then you know, just do, do with it what you think you should. But this idea of being undercover properly is a source of blessing, is something that I have seen in my own life. I wasn't going to share this, but I was talking about it with my wife, and she said I should, and since I believe in mutual submission, I said okay. Uh, <clears throat> see what I did there? Um, a few, <laughs> thank you, Ish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a few years ago, my business partner, Brandon and I, Brandon's back there, um, were, had the privilege of being audited by our financial regulators. And I'm going to be as honoring as possible in telling this story. <clears throat> Let's just say we had a pretty, it was going fine, uh, until they found something that they thought was improper in some of our accounting of certain things. We had gotten expensive legal and accounting opinions saying otherwise, prior to this audit, they disagreed. We then hired more expensive legal and accounting opinion to combat their opinion, which did not work. And back and forth, uh, and what was a routine audit turned into kind of a nightmare, a, a nightmare, both financially and in some ways, I think, even for me emotionally, because it was just a giant distraction from the things you're normally trying to do in your, in your business life. Long story short, we had to then spend even more legal and accounting money to sort of completely restructure our business so that we could be compliant with what they had said. And a few years later, you know, nightmare over, wake up, move on. So I thought. A few years later, I was listening to someone give the same challenge that I, I just gave. Saying, hey, sort of, you know, just ask the Lord, he'll show you. And I felt almost immediately that God said, I want you to call the head of that regulatory team and apologize. And I was in my car, and we had a little bit of a moment, uh, God and I did. <laughs> and I, I literally was like, What? Like, no, I'm not doing that. They shafted me. I didn't do anything to them. And then you ever have one of those moments where you get squeezed a little bit and what comes out of you is not the fruit of the Spirit at all? It was like, I mean, and then I felt like the Lord was saying, look how you're acting. Look at the attitude of your heart. Something needs to, to be shifted here. And I know this was God because it sure wasn't me. And I don't know, I don't know if the devil ever tempting anybody to apologize to somebody that they don't think they need to apologize to. But I felt like the Lord was asking me to just take a step in humility. 
And it took me about seven minutes of stewing about it in the car. And fine, fine, fine okay, God, you win. Yeah, you own it all. I, I'm submitting. My attitude was still bad, but I'll do it. I'll do it. How do you even call these people? And I tracked down a couple of numbers, and I finally got the, one of the guys. There were two people that were head of this team, and I called the one guy and said, hey, do you remember me? He's like, oh, yeah, sure, I remember, and I'm just calling you to apologize. And he was like, for what? And I was like, well, I don't know. But, like, but I, I was like trying to come up with something. But I said to him, I said, you know, there was a call we had once, and I wasn't real nice, and I just got frustrated, and I don't know. It was a tough, I just want you to, to know, you know, I'm sorry for if I, if you felt disrespected or anything like that. And he was like, oh, no, are you kidding me? Like, we're fine. You're fine. You're just doing your job. I'm doing my job. No hard feelings. Thanks so much for the call, you know. The other person was like, not like that at all. Super awkward. Classic government employee. You know, it was just like, that's it. Okay, bye. I was like, mm, all right, well, are we good, God? You know, like, <laughs> is that it? In an unrelated story, so I thought, our business had been in the toughest 12 to 18 month period I think I've ever had. It was like I couldn't buy a good trade or investment, for those of you who know what I do. Brandon, we get an amen or what? (laughs) It was a tough time. And I'm telling you, within a day or two was the beginning of a tidal wave of blessing that just started to flow. You're not going to convince me they're not related. You're just not. I can't explain it all the time to Chael's point about mystery from before. Sometimes you're just obedient unto God and good stuff happens. It's like I, I, I did this thing over here and something totally unrelated to the left happened. It's like, no, they're more related than you think. You know, sort of like people saying, the more I pray, the luckier I get. You ever heard that one? You know? So, yeah, take that challenge. Do with it what you want. I, I had this sense, though, as I was preparing that, you know, there's somebody that needed to make things right with an old boss. I don't know. If, if that's you, ask the Lord. He'll, he'll help you. But the same logic, guys, applies inside the church. We have to be submitted to the authority that God has allowed to run the church, spiritually speaking. I believe God has sovereignly put the tillers as father and mother of this house. Anybody else? Good. But they're submitted unto our elders and leaders. And they've also put themselves under Paul and Ellie McConaughey, who they think are further ahead on the journey than them, saying, hey, you guys have permission to speak into my life and to point out blind spots that we have. And I have had intentional conversations with these guys. Yeah, they're some of my best friends have also said, though, I want you to exercise your spiritual authority in my life. Have I, am, I, am I telling the truth? This isn't easy either. Sometimes I'll even say to Chael, like, what hat are we wearing right now? You know, are we just watching the Bears game or are you wearing the spiritual authority hat, right? Like, I mean, we're joking about it, but, like, he sits in that place in my life. And I think God has sovereignly put him there. Remember when I talked about this idea of it being a source of strength and blessing? I fell backwards into this not knowing how God was actually blessing me in my own story. When I first got serious about my faith, a youth intern at Willow Creek basically discipled me and two other guys for two years when we were in high school. And I grew a lot. <clears throat> then when I was in college, I started praying for somebody to mentor me. And I met Eric LaRue, and I've shared a little bit of that story before, but 
He did everything a good spiritual mentor should do. He helped me start a campus ministry. He would call me once a week when I was in college when I'd come home. We'd have coffee together. We'd have lunch. He'd pray for me. He'd try and impart all kinds of things to me. He gave me books to read. He encouraged me. But he was still under the Lord. Like God came first, and then I listened to somebody like Eric. And there was even a season in there where Trisha and I were dating, and we felt like God wanted us to get married. And it was not going well. Not going to get into that story either. But some of you know it. Her parents were not really for it. They weren't even for us dating, let alone getting engaged and getting married. And at one point, I was talking to Eric on the phone after what had been a pretty difficult visit with Trisha and her folks. And he said, you know, Marky, have you thought of going a different way? There's a lot of great gals out there. Maybe she's not the one. And I said, no, there's not. Not for me. She's it. And I just, I just shared with him, I just shared with him really clearly that I felt the Lord had shown that to me and that I was supposed to stay the course until either he changed my heart or he changed the situation. And I wasn't going to move. And he said, you know, I think that is the Lord. I'm going to help you see it through. And his, his counsel, his wisdom was like invaluable to both of us, not just me. Guys, I'm amazed how many people who are in Christ, so they say, make key life decisions without even seeking authority at all. Major moves, career changes, financial decisions, relationship decisions. Trish and I were making one of these in the past season, and I had so, we had sought a number of other people's advice, and I think the tillers were out of town. We're like, everything is lining up. There's just one problem. We haven't talked to Jen and Shale yet. Thankfully, they agreed as well. But we were prepared to say, if they have reservations, we're going to hear them. We're going to listen to them. Because I think God has sovereignly put them there for that purpose. Doing life, doing life without that type of, I don't know how to do it any other way. I just don't. And there's been other people as well. I'm not saying it can only be one. If you know somebody who's wiser than you in a certain area and you need wisdom, go seek them out. This is part of mutual submission within the body. And just the last point before in terms of when you disagree, don't be dishonoring. We know this best with our kids, right? Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents, for this is right. But then it says, honor your father and mother. Anybody ever had your kids obey you but not be honoring? Fine, I'll clean my room. It's like, hmm, okay. Let's, thank you for the obedience. Let's try the honor as well. And I want to suggest that we're not going to do this perfectly. So when we step out of line, we ask for forgiveness and put ourselves back under healthy spiritual cover. The other analogy I kind of came up with is like living life without this is like driving a car out of alignment. Anybody ever done that? I thought, I thought of this little uh, funny anecdote. We had this when I was the camp director of Agape. We had this donated airport shuttle people mover Dahlberg, do you remember this? Yeah. Oh, she's here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, she was fearful for her life riding in that thing probably. And Jeff drove it with me one time, 
And it was literally, the front end was out of alignment. In order to get it going straight, you were constantly doing this while you were driving because it would just list, like, in the lane. So you had to, like, time the... <laughs> I was like, and I, the, the, where I'm going with this is I was talking to the person who was the mechanic that I had hired to do it. He was like, Mark, you think it's bad now? He's like, I almost took it right. I worked on it. That's how, like, this is the improved version. I'm saying some of us are, like, that's how we're running our lives. We don't realize... How, how far we're drifting all over the place. And then we wonder why we get into, I didn't see this coming. It's because you weren't, any, you weren't under anyone else's cover. Think of good spiritual authority as like a gigantic umbrella over your life. It's there for your protection. It's there for your strength and your blessing. Jeff, you can come on up. Because I can't call myself as we talked about before. Here, here's the challenge, here's the challenge uh, real simple. Who's in that role in your life? Who do you consider a spiritual authority, a voice that you seek out? If you're still thinking about it, I want to suggest maybe you don't have one or that you're not as close to one as you ought to be. If some of this is resonating with you, just ask God. Maybe you don't know where to start. Ask him, he'll show you. My guess is some of us already know, you know what, I need to seek this person out. Or if you're someone who's more learned in the kingdom, be ready to be asked. Be ready to invest in other people. Be ready to give. Give away what God has given you, both through him and through others. And hear me out on this. This is not a call towards guilt in any way. I think if we'll catch the heart of the Lord on this, we'll see discipleship and growth of all ages in our church that we, we just can't put a, a value on it. I think of that word in Joel where it talks about men and women, young and old, the spirit poured out on everybody. We have to do that as we're mutually submitted to each other. So I'm just going to give an invitation, then Chael's going to come and wrap things up. I just want you to just sit for a moment. I just want to invite the Holy Spirit in. Holy Spirit, would you just come? Right now, Lord. Right now, God. And if you felt a lack in this area of your life, just quietly open up one of your hands. And God, I pray you would illuminate right now, Lord. Who's the person they need to ask? Who's the one they need to seek out? And God, would you give each one of us courage where it's needed to do so? And Lord, that the fruits of the Spirit would abound as we're obedient unto you.